All right, all right. Good to see all of you tonight. I want you to uh, turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and then I want you to turn to Matthew 26, because we're going to be going back and forth between 1 Peter 5 and Matthew 26. And you're going to need to see both places for this to make sense tonight. And uh, let me just confess to you, I'm not feeling super good around, right after, nothing to do with you, Joseph, but right after I interviewed Joseph, I just started feeling really funny, kind of like I'd eaten something and kind of spoiled on your stomach, you know? So, you know, I just, then I came in to watch the LSU game, that didn't help any. It was awful. So I just uh, kind of been laying low this afternoon, you know, kind of praying, resting. But I do feel a great deal of spiritual resistance to what I'm going to say tonight. I feel like I'm in a season as pastor, not at home. Pam and I are great. Kids are great. But I'm in a season right now, I think, where the church is, we're headed into a season where I think we could all expect a great deal of spiritual resistance. And I'll tell you why. We, uh, on October the 28th, in just a few weeks... I've announced this like months ago, but on October 28th, on that Sunday morning, we're going to receive a special offering to pay down the debt of our church. And um, that's significant for a lot of reasons. One is that uh, debt really is a a master, and we become the slaves. And the enemy does not want us to break free from that. Because every dime that we send to some bank is a dime that we can't spend in our city to redeem the loss, you know? And I, I, uh, the first time we did this, back in March, we had a miracle offering back in March, like three days before that offering. I just got really sick. It went to the emergency room, spent a night in the hospital, and um, just realized, wait, I'm, I'm tapping up against something here that's strong. So I just increased our prayer. You know, here we are a couple of weeks away from another offering, you know, a blessing from God. And I just felt like we need to be very prayerful going into this season. You know, and then this past week, we got some kind of discouraging news, but just for a moment. It was only discouraging for a moment, you know. We, uh, I've been telling you about this apartment complex that we're planning to buy. And we, um, we were uh, told by some experts that, that this grant that we had applied for would be just a no-brainer for us, you know. And, I mean, literally, Brady, I mean, they looked us in the eye several times and said, you meet all the qualifications, and there's just no reason at all why you wouldn't get this grant. So we, you know, we planned accordingly. You know, like when someone promises you money, you'll believe it when the check's in your hand. You know, you know that feeling. So this last Friday, we learned we did not get the grant, and it was a four hundred and fifty thousand dollar grant that would have allowed us to pay cash for this apartment complex that we had made an offer on over on Airport and Academy over in that area of town. Love it, great apartment, perfect spot, perfect place. And so I got the news like a Friday a week ago, you know, and I heard the news and went, oh. Then it's like the Lord just said something to me very clearly. He says, hey, just like what I told this lady. You know? <laughs> it's always, always awful to have to live out what you preach, you know? <laughs> Darn it. But I just felt a great deal of peace come over me. I just felt like the Lord said, hey, I, I, love, these, I love these ladies that are living with their kids right now. I love them. You can't imagine how much I love them, Brady. You can't imagine. And um, I just felt like I was supposed to challenge all of us, myself and all of us in this room tonight, to be very prayerful about that October 28th offering. The elders and I could not get a return phone call back in January. We were trying to refinance the loan, you know, and just nobody would return our calls. The economy and the uncertainty of it all, they just wouldn't return our calls. And, 
And then we felt the Lord say, hey, pay down the debt and just be, be bold and, you know, do it. And so since January, we've paid down about almost $2.6 million of debt since January on top of everything else. You know, it's just been a miracle. And um, suddenly we're getting, we're getting phone calls. Hey, y'all are serious, you know. And so we got four or five different offers. We ended up choosing an offer, and it closes on November 1st. And literally, um, it is a game changer for our, our church. We will be in the best financial condition that we've been in as a church in a decade uh, starting November 1st. I mean, it really will be. But if any of you were praying about when to give that $5 million check, that would be great on October 28th. Let me, do it. Let me just confirm to you that on October 28th, because every penny we give on October 28th will lower the payment. You know, if, if, we don't give a, if we don't get a dime, nobody shows up for church on October 28th, it'll still be a game changer, and we'll still be able to do a great deal more in the city, including, you know, what I was excited about, I think we've, we were able to do both the medical clinic and the um, apartment complex just with our giving that we're having now. If we, you know, it's a small beginning, but it, it's possible without having to do any raffle sales, you know, cake sales, Dunkin' Booths, or any of those things. I hadn't come to that yet. But um, I just want to encourage you to be prayerful and just do whatever the Lord says to you on October 28th. It's a, it, I think, it, and I'm not trying to, you know, I don't, I don't hype stuff. But I, I do believe in challenging myself and all of us that October 28th, it could be the most significant offering we've ever received in the history of our church. And I wasn't here for the first 25 years, but at least it's the most significant one that I've had in five years. How many of you like a good movie? You know, a good movie? I'm, I'm a movie guy. David Perkins and I have this joke all the time because David's seen five movies, six. You know, he's a, he's a reader, and I should be more like that. But I'm kind of a visual guy, you know, and so I, the Lord speaks to me through cinema. And I love, the, I love the poetry of it, the drama of it. I love the tension. And one of my favorite movies is a movie called The Patriot with Mel Gibson. And uh, I really like that movie. It's violent, bloody. can't watch it with your kids. Hatchet, killing people, stuff like that, you know, and... What I like about it, one of the, it's early on in the movie where Mel Gibson, it, it's apparent to uh, the patriots, it's apparent to the American colonists that war with Britain, war with England is inevitable. And they meet in Charleston, South Carolina for this big convocation of politicians and leaders and they're trying to decide are they going to join in the effort to get freedom from you know, England. There's a beautiful scene where Mel Gibson already has his bad reputation for being bloody and violent. He's, he's looked up as a leader among military people. And they, they ask him, Mel, are you in or not? Are you, or they didn't call him Mel. I forget what his name is uh, in the movie. Joe or something. And he said, uh, he said are you in? And he says, listen, I, I don't have time for war. I'm raising a family. He said, his, and he was a widower, so his wife had passed away somehow. And he said, uh, I just can't. I'm going to raise my children and try to stay away from war. And I'm kind of paraphrasing, but somebody said, well, if you don't come to war, war will come to your house. And it's a good picture of the spiritual battle because the, you know, the choice we got tonight is either to engage or be engaged because war is inevitable. This, this battle we're in is you can shrink back and be a, pass, a spiritual pacifist all you want, but it's coming to your door. Whether you like it or not, that's true for all of us. Pastors, business people, doesn't matter. 
And in um, 1 Peter, the reason I told you to turn to 1 Peter 5 and Matthew 26 is because Peter was involved in both conversations that we're going to read. Matthew 26, he was a disciple listening to Jesus talk to him about spiritual battles. And then later on, many years later, he would write a letter to the churches that he oversaw. And he would pretty much repeat verbatim the words of Jesus back to the churches that he led. I want to open it up here. This is the title of this message tonight. It's going to be very short, but I think it's going to be something you can chew on for a while. The title of this message is Resisting the Roaring Lion. Resisting the Roaring Lion. First Peter 5, we're going to read about nine verses here. It says, to, to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Notice here there's suffering and glory all in one sentence. You're going to be a witness of Christ's sufferings. You're going to share in the glory to be revealed. That's a beautiful picture right there for our life. And, be, and he says, verse 2, be shepherds. And he's, remember, he's writing to churches. He's writing to church leaders who will read this letter first. So church leaders will read this letter personally, and then they'll turn around and read it to their congregation. He says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money. What a great reminder 2,000 years later for all of us, right? He says, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And he says, and all of you, men, women, young, old, rich, poor, it doesn't matter, He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And let's just stop here because that is three hours of sermon right there. A lot of the stuff we're blaming on the enemy is not the enemy's fault. It's our own pride. We're wondering why God's not cooperating with us more often. And the simple truth is, is we're not humble, submitted men. We literally have made the decision to put the opposing uniform on God and then get in the huddle of our own and expect God to join our huddle. That's just not the way it works. He said, I'll oppose you if you're going to be arrogant and proud about it. But here's good news, all right? But I give grace to the humble. In other words, I believe this, and this is, uh, I think, sound theology. I believe there's tremendous forgiveness and grace for men who are quick to repent and are humble about it. It's not that that's not a license to keep behaving badly. There's just a tremendous amount of grace for people who have humbled themselves. He says, and humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, due time there is a tricky part. And I love verse 7. Cast all your anxiety, not some of it, but all of it, on him because he cares for you. And be self-controlled and alert. He says, your enemy... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Now, I grew up, and you know, I would hear my pastor say, well, that's a toothless lion. Really? He's not toothless. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me tell you this. All of us probably, including myself, probably underestimate just how much he wants to destroy us. And I can certainly believe this. I think we completely underestimate just how powerful the living God is that we serve. And we completely underestimate how vicious our enemy is and how much he wants to destroy us. Somewhere in between those two things is a great balance. 
<clears throat> so I was thinking about lions, you know, what is, what is it, what gives the lion, this roaring lion, what gives him access into our world, into our home, into our bodies, into our lives? And so I want to show you a few things this morning that the, the enemy wants to feast upon. And I want to show it to you in Matthew 26. Remember, the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 26 are repeated back right here in 1 Peter chapter 5 by someone that was standing in front of Jesus when he spoke. The first thing he says in 1 Peter 5, it says to be shepherds of God's flock. And what I believe about our lives is that the lions feast on the unprotected. Let me say this to you. Some of you that are loosely connected with a local fellowship, you're in a very dangerous spot. And I'm not talking about the corporate organized church. I'm talking about being connected, deeply committed to the local church is, is, is something that will bring a great deal of safety to your home and to your family. It says, the lions feast on those who are unprotected. And listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 26. It says, Jesus told them this very night, Jesus was looking at his disciples, Jesus is about to be arrested. It says, this very night you'll fall away on account of me, for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then Peter says to him, listen, be shepherds of God's flock. That's under your care. It's important that we have shepherds. And I'm not talking about just full-time pastoral staff. I'm talking about all of us. I, I, this is one of the things that I wish were different, but it's not. I can't, I can't change it. I wish I could be everyone's pastor at New Life. I mean, personally pastor you, meet with you, look you in the eye, check on you on a regular basis. I wish I could. And I do pastor people. But the point is, is, I'm trying to create a culture where everyone does have a shepherd. Where everyone does have people that's looking them in the eye and loves them and cares for them. Because I know that's a place of safety for us. Someone that, you can, that knows you well enough to know when you're lying. Someone that looks you and cares about you and loves you and concerned about you. It doesn't have to be a staff pastor. I'm looking at a couple of hundred pastors and shepherds right in front of me. We're all pastors and shepherds. Here's the second thing in verse 5, 2 Peter, or 1 Peter 5, it says, All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Verse 5. I believe that lions feast on the proud. Look at what Matthew, Matthew 26, verse 33. Peter replied, and I love, <laughs> Peter's my favorite. I really do like Peter. Peter looked at me, and Jesus said, You know, some of you are going to fall away on account of me. And Peter looked at me and says, Hey, I can hear him being real bold and cocky about it. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. These other slackers may make a run for it, but not me. And Jesus looks right at him because Jesus can see the heart. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. I love what David said, to a girl. I like that. <laughs> you'll be talked down by a girl. Sure enough, Peter did. I mean, this is why, if there was ever a guy qualified to talk about arrogance and the, and the results of arrogance, it was Peter. I mean, Peter knew the embarrassment, the humiliation of being prideful. In fact, I remember, you know, in John 13, when, and I love chapter 13, 14, 15, all those conversations, the final conversations that Jesus had with uh, his disciples leading up to his arrest. Remember the scene in John 13 where Jesus is trying to wash their feet? 
And Peter said, no, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, you've got to let me wash your feet, or you can't have no part of me. You've got to humble ourselves. I think humility is like this protective piece of clothing, you know, that the enemy can't, can't devour it. Humility, clothing yourselves with humility is like literally putting on teflar, military protective clothing in our spiritual lives. Being broken, being humble, being easy to teach, easy to lead. It's just hard to, it's hard to mess with a person that's broken like that and humble. The enemy just, that, that door slams shut. And then look at verse 7 of uh, 1 Peter 5. Verse 7 it says, And cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. All this anxiety, all these troubled feelings. I believe the lions feast on the anxious. I'm going to show you what I mean by this. The anxious. In Matthew 26, verse 50, they've arrested Jesus. A group of them came out in the middle of the night. Torches, swords, soldiers, priests. And they have Jesus in front of them and they're about to cart him off, take him to a public, or not a public, but a very shaky private trial. And, and Peter grabs a sword nearby. And some young guy that got, kind of got caught up in a crowd named Malchus is sitting there and it says, verse 50, it says, Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. And then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword. Now we find out later it was probably Peter, you know. And drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Here's what, here's what anxiety does. Anxiety is the feeling that you've got to take things into your own hands. And we all have, that's our first initial response as men. Anytime we're resisted, the, the initial thought that you have to put to death is to take matters into your own hands. We have to really believe this. This is... Sunday school, 101, first grade. But it seems like it takes us a long time to really believe that God is in control. It's really easy to tell other people that when they're going through something, it's just super tough to believe it about yourself. God's in control of everything but my own circumstances. Really? I mean, it, it was, um, you know, getting that phone call last Friday. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. You didn't get that money that you thought you was coming to help these ladies in our city. You didn't get it. Well, my first thought is, well, I can do this, and we can do that, and, and, and we'll do this. And the Lord says, why don't you just take a deep breath and believe and trust that I'm, I've got my hand on this. All right. Friday's not a good day. It's my day off, you know, leading into the weekend. So you could have done it on Monday or Tuesday when I was more prayerful, you know. Just what are you anxious about tonight? All right, here's the last thing in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5. It says to be self-controlled and alert. I do believe this to be true, and I know it to be true. Lions feast on the negligent. And listen to what he says in, in Matthew 26, verse 40. He says, then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch for me for one hour, asked Peter? He asked Peter this. Peter got picked on a lot, didn't he? I mean, here Peter's sound asleep, crashed. The most epic night of human history, where the resurrected Christ, the Christ is about to go to the cross, and they're crashed. And verse 41, it says, watch 
and pray. Sounds like be self-controlled and alert, doesn't it? But watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back again, he found them sleeping. What are good learners? They're quick learners. It's good news for all of us, right? They're little hard-headed people. He said, Because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Here's what I believe about our prayer life and about every good thing in our life. The lions feast on the good things that we neglect. You neglect your marriage, the lion will feast on it. Every affair that I've ever counseled, every broken relationship that started in an affair, involved one or both, but at least one, of the husband or the wife leaning away from one another. It wasn't like we woke up one day, or your wife woke up one day, and decided on that day to go blow up everything in your lives. It just starts with leaning away, neglecting, forgetting to call and check on her during the day, traveling a little too much and not looking her in the eye enough, not praying together for a long stretch. It's just small things. Every major failure started with a series of... Of minor mistakes. Just neglecting things. You neglect your kids, the lion will feast on them, I promise you. Nothing gives the enemy more pleasure than to see our kids swept away. I thought Pastor David's word today was spot on. What was you know, I was convicted by it. I'm a, I'm a good dad, I'm a decent dad. I want to be better at it. You neglect your finances, the lion will feast on it. Can't neglect it got to talk about it, think about it, make a plan for your money, or the lion will feast on it. You wouldn't believe how many people ask us. We get, I mean, we're getting 20 to 60 requests a day at the church for financial help, and we're happy to do it. I mean, honestly, there are times when, I mean, in most cases, we're happy to help. But every time, because we want to be good stewards, we start asking them some questions about what's going on in their finances you know what typically pops up is just neglect. It's not a crisis. It's neglect. And so we, we have these classes and we have these systems in place where we just say, let, me, let us help you. Let us coach you. Let us come alongside you and help you not neglect this. So we, we will help you, but we, we want to be able to help, you know, come alongside you so that we're not just giving you fish. We're teaching you to fish. It's neglect. You neglect your health and the lion will feast on you. Listen, I'm 45 years old. And I realize more and more how important it is to take care of myself. Just, you know, tonight I'm just not feeling 100%. I mean, I'm just not feeling well. I don't know if, I, if anything I did necessarily, but I certainly realize that I can't do what God's called me to do if I'm not healthy. There's a lot of guys, men and women, who disqualify themselves for the great thing that God wants them to do because they're simply, they don't have the physical health to do it. They just don't take care of themselves, eat right and... And listen, I want to say this because I felt so, I think I said it at Guys Morning Out a few weeks ago, but I want to say it again. Just please, guys, go get annual physicals. Uh, tomorrow, actually, let me take, take that back. I'm, today would have been my dad's 70th birthday. You know, he would have been 70 today. And what my dad died of was completely preventable. I love my dad. I'm not trying to throw him, uncover him, or. I'm just saying this to draw you into something that I'm saying, okay? And I love my dad. My dad was an amazing guy. Taught me a lot of great things about manhood. But 
my dad just was one of those old school guys that if he didn't have something falling off his body, he wasn't going to the doctor. You know? Listen, I just went and got my annual physical. I mean, you know, those checkups are not fun. I didn't wake up that morning and think, thank God for rubber gloves. You know, I didn't think about any of that. <laughs> Drop your drawers, turn your head and cough is not something I wake up thinking about and anticipating. But I... <laughs> But listen, uh, I promise you I don't. Um, but I do have a 14-year-old son, an 11-year-old daughter, and a blonde-haired girl that I want to grow old with. And I've got an assignment that I want to finish. So you neglect it. Just wisdom, right? Just wisdom. Do some blood work. They, you know, this is what's beautiful. You know, I had my pulmonary valve replaced last year. And, you know, I love what my doctor said. He's a Christ follower, Anglican brother who did my, he's my cardiologist. He said, Brady, we can fix almost anything if we catch it early, almost anything. There's some things we're still working on, I mean, but he said, if we could just catch it early. I just want to encourage you guys, don't neglect that. Don't let that open door stand open too much longer, all right? Go, go get, take care of it. And keep each other accountable. After you turn 35, 40 years old, just hold each other, even earlier. I mean, it doesn't know, you know, I had this, <laughs> I had this 20-something on our staff after I, he was, he's 28 or 9. He goes, man, I'm going to get my heart checked. This guy, you know, runs the incline on his way to hike Pikes Peak. <laughs> and I looked at him and went, I think that's great. You're making good habits. You're probably okay. There's nothing wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with checking it out first, you know. Here's the last thing in verse 9. It says, resist him. 1 Peter 5 says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. And I love what 1 Peter verse 10 says. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, I got some hiccups, go drink water will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. And to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. We are, we are people who are strong and we're firm and we're steadfast. If only we'll keep our eyes open and alert. If we'll just pay attention. I think that if I, when I called you up here this weekend, I asked the Lord, what's one thing that we can all just take away and live on he says, and this is what he said, most battles can be won if we're simply paying attention. Colonel Willis, I mean, you'll tell you that. Colonel Willis is right there, a retired Army colonel who does a lot of great pastoral ministry in our church. He's West Point grad. All of you that have military backgrounds, you'll know that if you know the plans of the enemy in advance and you have superior firepower, and you know their plans in advance. You usually win. Well, I got some good news for you tonight. We know his plans in advance. And we have superior spiritual firepower. It's not even a fight. It's not even a fight. We have the same power in us that raised Christ from the dead. If there was ever somebody in the history of the world that the enemy wanted to keep in the grave, it would have been Jesus. But the same power that's at work in Christ to raise him up out of that grave is that now at work in us. And 
We have eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to understand and a heart to believe. Can we be deceived? Yes. Can, there, can we be tricked? Yes. But that's way the exception, not the norm. We know what's going on and we have superior firepower in our hearts and minds. So resist him. Pay attention and stand firm. So tonight, as we come to the end of this gathering, I want to, I plan on doing communion tomorrow, but I want to do communion right now together with us. So would you all stand with me tonight? And um, I don't know how you feel about what we're doing at New Life. I mean, we're, gonna, we're coming to the Lord's table, though. Because I believe that there is uh, something of mystery in the Lord's table. It's a powerful reminder. But it's also this powerful declaration that you're making. I know that little wafer and the little cup of juice may not look like spiritual weapons. They're powerful. Because it's a reminder of what's already happened and what is happening now and what will happen in the age to come. Christ was resurrected. Christ is resurrecting those things that are broken, even now, all among us. I believe the day that we prayed, there were men who were healed. There's marriages being restored. Here's something more powerful that's happening. We are making a prophetic declaration about a coming age. When all things are going to be made right and new. Christ has resurrected, is resurrected. Christ is in the business now of resurrecting those things that are broken. But in the future... We have this hope in us. And it's not at the expense of today's promise. It's just an added on promise. It's a bonus. He's making all things right now. And he's going to for sure make all things right in the future. 